This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Weekdays at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello, and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on Thursday, May 27th. 2021, I am Paul Gallant, and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. One that you can jump aboard by texting in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line, tweeting me at Gallant says your calls at 1015. I want to start off talking about yesterday's Mariners game. They weren't able to complete the sweep against the Oakland A's, a bummer, but despite being down 6-0 in the ninth inning, They had a chance to potentially tie things up, send it to extra innings. And guess who was at the plate? Our sweet, sweet, sweet boy. Our pride and joy, hopefully. Jared Kelnick. Here's what happened. There's that little rock and roll with his shoulders. Here's the pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball into shallow left field. Elvis Andrews going out, and he makes the catch on the run. And the ball game is over. Andrews had to hurry back into shallow left field. Reaches out, and he makes the catch for the final out of the ball game. And the A's win it this afternoon. A final score. Of six to three. That ball was up and down in a hurry, but Andrews makes a heck of a catch in shallow left. The Mariners made it interesting late in this ball game. It was so, so close to dropping. We're talking like three feet. If we want to go the metric system, maybe even as much as a meter. If it goes a little bit further in that direction, who knows if Elvis Andrews is able to make that catch. It was a great over-the-shoulder kind of catch. So Kelnick, in his first chance to be a hero, ultimately he fails. And I know that some of you guys are out there, 710, 710, texting in. Well, he didn't do anything, Paul. What are you so excited about? I'm not really excited about anything necessarily. I feel like we need to see him deliver in some of those spots by the end of the year. Not all the time. But from time to time, yeah, I want to see it this year. And I say that perhaps with an unfair comparison to another former Mariners phenom going all the way back to the year I was born, 1989, when Ken Griffey Jr. started things off in the major leagues. Ken Griffey Jr., I looked at some of his statistics from 1989. With two outs and runners in scoring position, he hit 268 with a home run and 19 runs batted in. In late and close scenarios, which means the seventh inning or later, with the batting team tied, ahead by one run, or with the tying run on deck, he hit 222 with four home runs and 11 runs batted in. Not consistently dominant in those spots, but still made plays from time to time. And also, you take a look at the way that he hit with runners in scoring position in 1989. He drove in 42 runs over 129 plate appearances. So I think with the really great ones, with the guys that you know definitively as a fan, as a spectator, as an observer, have an awesome chance of delivering when your team absolutely needs it, you find out pretty early. You found that out with Ken Griffey Jr. And also, I mean, let's go back to 2012 with Russell Wilson. Took a little bit of time for Russ to 
establish himself as the de facto starter the rest of the way. I know that Pete Carroll had some questions in the first half of 2012 about him. He is a rookie quarterback after all. But I go back to that game against the New England Patriots where in the last two minutes, Russell Wilson bombs it to Sidney Rice for the game-winning touchdown pass. And I remembered seeing that in Houston, Texas, and thinking to myself, there's something about this guy. And I think by the end of this year, you got to see it out of Jared Kelnick. If we're to believe that this guy is going to be that superstar center of the Mariners kind of piece, I think he's going to be able to do it. I'm not asking for it every single time. The question of today's show, how much time do you need to determine whether or not an athlete is clutch? You can text that in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Paul, do you call your cat? Your sweet, sweet boy. Uh, no, I don't. I do not do that. My cat is a girl, so uh, get it right. Another text. Having a rookie saying he's probably going to go 4 for 4 with a home run and a couple of doubles is just mind-boggling. 0 for 5 with a giant ego is more like it. What's wrong with the ego? Don't you want a young player, 21 years old, coming up to the major leagues to have an ego? Honestly, in a sport that has as many... To be quite honest, boring people. Like Mike Trout's the most important baseball player. No offense to Mike Trout. Kind of a boring dude. Don't you want guys that have this kind of confidence? Like a Bryce Harper or an Alex Bregman? Minus the cheating thing? Text in. What's the threshold of what you want to see? Average. Above average. Hall of Fame numbers. A couple key situations. The latter. A couple of key situations. I want to be able to know just based off of a couple of opportunities, whether or not Jared Kelnick in those spots can deliver. And he'll have chances this year. But you do need to see it. And I think once we see it, we're going to feel a lot better about this guy and his chances to potentially be the savior of this franchise. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Any thoughts on that or an answer to the question of the day, how much time do you need to determine if an athlete is clutch? 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Last night, I did a roundtable on YouTube with a couple of diehard Seahawks fans slash guys who talk about the team online. It's a different avenue. Norb Cam is the guy who organized the whole thing. We got into a couple of conversations about a bunch of different things. And I remembered vividly one moment where there was a bit of a disagreement because some guys are really optimistic about what's going to happen next year for the Seahawks. Other people in the group in the roundtable were very pessimistic. So I thought to myself, What changes do we know will happen for the Seahawks in 2021? And what changes do we have to admit that we're just hoping for? Here's what I think we know will be different from 2020 to 2021. Regardless of the offense, Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson. I do not see him falling off a cliff in the near future. Number two, I think the Seahawks offensive line, by default, will be better. How much better? I'm not sure. But by default, will be better due to some continuation, and on top of that, a new piece in Gabe Jackson. And then the last thing I know, the Seahawks are going to have a better idea of how to use Jamal Adams, and assuming health, which I don't know, he should be even better and more impactful this coming season. So those are the three things I feel like I know will be different next year. But there might be a couple of things that we don't know, that we're hoping for, that aren't going to be delivered upon. First off, Russell Wilson and Shane Waldron's offense, is that going to gel to a point 
where it actually improves as the season progresses. When in the last two seasons, yeah, maybe it's a Brian Schottenheimer problem, but Russell Wilson did not play his best ball at the end of the season. It was all at the beginning of the year. We hope Dwayne Eskridge and Gerald Everett can be immediate contributors on offense. We hope that the Seahawks cornerback group can make it work with DJ Reed and I don't know. I mean, I guess Akello Witherspoon. I know that we had a little back and forth on the Danny and Galat show with Michael Bumpus aboard too on figuring out who was going to be that starting corner. Mora threw the question out there. We're not 100% sure. And also this, there's a, this one, we, I know we are hopeful. I know we are wishfully thinking on. There's a lot of certainty about this. Is the smorgasbord, I love that term, of Carlos Dunlap and other unsought defensive linemen going to generate more of a pass rush than what we saw in the first half of last year before the Seahawks decided to change their defensive stripes and start blitzing Jamal Adams pretty much every play. They could not generate any pass rush. By the end of the year, plus with Carlos Dunlap aboard, things were better. Kerry Hyder is in. Jaron Reed is out. Alton Robinson had a really nice rookie season considering he's a fifth-round pick. Daryl Taylor, you think, is going to be in the mix. LJ Collier, another season of him where he feels a little more comfortable. Like, there are lots of reasons where I think you can talk yourself into this defensive line being A-plus unit. At the end of the day, though, I still think it is wishful thinking at this point. Maybe of all those things, that one is towards the top of the wishful things that we are hoping for that actually could come true. But that's one that people seem to have a lot of certainty about. And I think that you should be a little bit more cautious with that optimism. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's 1010. That means it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura. How are you now? Morning, afternoon. Oh, see, I couldn't get it out. I'm sorry. It's hard. I, <laughs> you sort of have to get into the flow of it. I feel like it's easier. It's easier for me because good morning, afternoon, Mora. Because okay. I, I get to repeat the same essentially phonetic sounding syllable twice. You're <laughs> welcome, uh, everyone listening. You now know how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> uh, hooked on phonics. You love it. Um, All right, first up, I know this was a story that you had quite a strong opinion on. A fan dumped a bucket of popcorn on Russell Westbrook's head last night as he was being helped through the tunnel with an injury. He was pretty furious and had to be held back from basically trying to get into the stands to get at the fan. This was him um, post-game on why he was so upset. Let me honest, man, this is getting out of hand, uh, especially for me. Uh, Just... The amount of disrespect, the amount of just fans is doing whatever they want to do. It's just it's out of pocket, man. It's out of pocket, seriously. Like in the other setting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for the fans enjoying the game and having fun. And, you know, it's part of sports. I get it. Uh, but there's certain things that cross the line. Uh, and any other setting, I know for a fact that fans and they want to come up. And, a guy wouldn't come on the street and pour popcorn on my head because he know what happened. A guy wouldn't come up to me and talk mess about my kids and my family on the street because the response would be different. 
He is right on those last fronts. I do think that he is right to be upset. I do think that he got a little bit too angry over having popcorn dumped on him. Like, I would think if that was a, if someone had spilled liquid on him or if something had been thrown at him that actually hurt, the reaction would have been, I think, more appropriate, I guess. But who am I to basically blame Russell Westbrook in that spot? I mean, you're a player and all of a sudden somebody is disrespecting you by dumping popcorn. Yeah, I think that's it. Obviously, it's not like the popcorn hurt or anything, right. but you know, you're hurt in that moment. It, it's just, it's a very disrespectful move, and I think that's what got Danny told the story earlier on Danny and Galan of Quentin Jefferson when the Seahawks were playing the Jaguars, and it just, yeah, those fans were just, they were yelling things at him, throwing things at him. It just seemed so disrespectful. It really does cross a line. His brain is always going 100 miles per hour. So is his intensity. So, a natural byproduct. Sometimes I do feel like the fans should have to deal with a little old-fashioned code of Hammurabi justice. An eye for an eye. Old Babylonian king. He came up with that way back in the day. You poked the bear. Yeah, you get poked back. But I do need to say this right now. And I know some people listening have been going to spectator sports Everyone seems to be returning to live spectator sports, fans in the stands, the same way that a father will handle a bachelor party trip with the boys. They've been acting like drunken idiots that don't that can't handle themselves anymore. Calm down. I mean, it wasn't just this popcorn incident. Bunch of fights at a White Sox game this week. Dodgers fans were fighting Astros fans in front of their children last night. New York's savages are just chanting bleep Trey Young. You have Philadelphia fans being Philadelphia fans. I suppose they could have thrown batteries at Russell Westbrook to be a little bit more on brand. Then that, of course, would have been merited for Russell Westbrook to go up there. And we haven't even gotten to Boston game yet. And Kyrie Irving, who used to play for the team, said that Boston's racist and that he hopes that any bad blood from that crowd is not subtle racism. Honestly, we'll see what happens there. There will be vitriol from that fan base against him, especially in a spot where the Celtics have no chance. So there you go. What's up next? Up next, we have some good news from Scott Service yesterday on the injury front. No, Marco's progressing very well. Um, You know, I'm hopeful that this is our uh, last bullpen day and that Marco could slide in there the next time this this, uh, spot comes around. We'll just have to wait and see uh, how that goes. I'm very excited to hear that. He is the most consistent pitcher in your starting rotation. I'm hoping Yusei Kikuchi overtakes him for that. We talked about this earlier. Danny, I think, made a great point about how the starting rotation for the Mariners, at this point in time, how many true number one guys do they have? I think Yusei Kikuchi still has the potential to be an ace, and especially with the way that he's pitched this year. I mean, he's pitching into the seventh inning. That doesn't happen anymore. He's getting 10-plus strikeouts. That's as close to it as you can get. And he's really delivering some nice returns on that contract you signed him to. But you need to have somebody else in the rotation, and you can't have these ridiculous starts where you're starting off with your bullpen. That was my favorite part about that cut, was he said, hopefully this is our last bullpen start. Yes. (laughs) I can't believe that they have been hovering around the way that they have been, Mora, with some of the injuries that they've had, specifically when it comes to the pitching. There have been a ton. And now you got even a COVID-19 positive test. That 
is What's Trending with Maura Dooley, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. I am Paul Gallant, and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. You can text in 710-710. This bozo Snow Hall of Fame personality. A guy that depends on texts. Well, I am a Hall of Famer when it comes to uh, multitasking, so this is how we operate here. Sports Talk Radio needs to be interactive again. I feel that way. I feel like there has been a separation that's been created between the average person listening, whether it's in the car or you're listening on your smart speaker with the 710 ESPN Seattle app, too. I want to hear from you guys. Because that's what this used to be. It used to be basically a community kind of atmosphere where we're all sitting at the bar and talking about the sports. You can jump in to be heard. 206-421-3776. The question of the day. How much time do you need to determine whether or not an athlete is clutch? It's your chance to be heard. Your voice. Your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be Heard. Interesting sidebar. Pete Carroll will be speaking this afternoon at 2 o'clock. I don't know what there really is specifically to ask him about right now. I want to know how many players are showing up. I don't think any veterans more are going to be showing up for OTAs. I've sort of accepted that. I'm a little disappointed, a little frustrated with it, but I don't think it's going to be a problem. Do you? Well, actually, check that. I do think it will be a bit of a, it will be an obstacle. I, I said this, why am I, I feel, I sound like I'm backtracking. It's going to be a bit of an obstacle and we'll put them behind the eight ball a little bit when it comes to their offensive installation. Yeah, I mean, they'll catch up at training camp this, you know, they always had some veterans that didn't show up for these things, but w- with the new offense and with the fact that they are a team, last year was an anomaly with the offense starting fast. They are a team that tends to start a little bit slow. <laughs> um, I would feel more comfortable if people were there. Um, but at least Russell Wilson is working with the offense off-site. But, yeah, I he said— Why not on-site? You know, that's that's the weird part about it, Maura. Why not work with Shane Waldron? Why not work with your offensive linemen? And I saw a piece in the Seattle Times from Larry Stone. It's a column saying that's not that big of a deal for these guys to not be there. The reason that I disagree to an extent is that, yeah, you can learn all these things virtually— it is something else entirely to walk through these things. Mm-hmm. And I know, just a high school football player, but when you look at a playbook and you talk about a playbook versus when you walk through it, jog through it, run through it, it's totally different. Well, and I would think it would be important to have the guy there that's instilling these plays, yeah. installing these plays. But yeah, I, that's why I would be interested to see what Carroll says today because at his last press conference during rookie minicamp, he said they were trying to work out. Some of these teams have worked out deals with their players. Like if you show up to OTAs, we'll reduce some of them or we won't do 11 on 11. So maybe they have worked something out. But so far, it sounds like we're hearing that it's mostly the same guys that were in rookie minicamp. Yes, that's that's true. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I would like to see the young players getting as much experience as they possibly can. And I'm not upset necessarily about it I just think that there's potential that this is going to put the offense behind the eight ball over the course of this year uh 206-421-3776 the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle you can also tweet me if you so choose at Galan says the question of the day how much time do you need to determine whether or not an athlete is clutch Christopher says three years King responds in football they got to give me four to five clutch plays every season for two to three years, then I'll know they can do it. Oddly, basketball doesn't take but three to five shots in big moments in a three-year span, and it's pretty clear then. Not knowledgeable on hockey or baseball, though. 
just my opinion. Basketball is an interesting one because I think a lot of guys are expected to have that irrational confidence at the end of the game that they're going to be able to hit any shot. Some guys can, but a lot of guys don't, and a lot of guys fail on a regular basis. Basketball is tricky on that front. I mean, how many, how many game-winning shots has Kobe Bryant missed? A lot. He missed a lot of them. He took a lot of them. He made a lot of them. He missed a lot of them, too. But you trusted him in those situations to give you the best possible chance. Baseball, I think you would know right away. Football, I do think you know right away, too. When we're talking about the most important positions. If we're talking about a batter in baseball, it's, it's glaringly obvious, generally, I would imagine, after a couple of at-bats in tough situations. Looking at the guy's body language, looking at his approach at the plate. And then I think in football at the quarterback position, I, I think you do see it right away when that quarterback is in there. 206-421-3776 is how you call in. Corey's in Puyallup. Corey, what's going on? How you doing? Um, yeah, if you are going to just say it on one position, then yeah. But I think it does depend on position. But QB, yeah, it's pretty easy to tell, I feel like. Um, in Kalanick's case, I feel like I just wanted to start hitting the ball. I mean, let's just get some hits that aren't clutch at first. <laughs> yeah, I understand that line of thinking. You want him to be more consistent. And, yeah. and, and, and I mean, we're always going to be looking for that. The reason I bring it up today is because yesterday, that's his first chance. That was his first time that he could have had the opportunity to be a hero. I also think in baseball, you should at least get 200 at-bats on your belt before you can really start to say anything, to be honest. That's a fair point, and we have, I think, gotten to 50 just with Jared Kelnick. It's just, it's just such a hard, hard sport. That's definitely true. And appreciate the phone call, Corey, 206-421-3776. I mean, I'm not making any rash judgments off of Jared Kelnick right now based off of what happened yesterday, but I do think by the end of the season we want to see, in some of those spots, him deliver. Just to feel that this guy is somebody that I guess is a franchise kind of piece. And I know maybe some players aren't that, even though they are elite talents. Yet you put them into tough situations, and they're not very good. Tony Romo in football. In baseball, you can make an argument for Alex Rodriguez. 710-710 is how you text, and guess who is joining me next? The Graz in the sports pit. He made me aware of something that absolutely fascinates me. And I'm curious as to what you guys think about this. What actor first turned athletes would you want to have on any theoretical team? Because I had no idea that this famous actor played baseball and he played it locally. I'll tell you who that is next with the Gras. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're gonna to fail. With Paul Gallant. And I am joined by the great and powerful Graz in the sports pit. You can text in a question to him at 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Graz, what's up, buddy? Paul Gallant is a live and breathe. How you doing, brother? I am doing fantastic, especially because of something that you told me to check out. Over the weekend, I tweeted out sports documentaries. I need some suggestions from people. So you suggested something on Netflix, which I watched last night. It's called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. It takes place in Portland, Oregon. 
there was a baseball team, an independent baseball team called the Portland Mavericks. I had no idea, first off, that Kurt Russell's father was an actor. I had no idea that he created a baseball team. I also had no idea that Kurt Russell played baseball for this team that played in the Pacific Northwest. Crazy. It's a great story, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's, it's really well done. And uh, I think I told you one of the guys uh, who played on the team uh, known by Swanee and anyone who's lived in Seattle for more than 10 years knows Swanee's a bar down there uh, in Pioneer Square. So there was always a local connection to it. But it, it's kind of timely, too, when you consider that that I think Billy Bean and some of the Oakland A's owners were in Portland a couple of days ago trying to you know scout it out to put pressure on the city of Oakland to build them a build them a stadium. Yeah, Portland once once reigned supreme in baseball for a while. Yeah, that that is that is interesting that we could end up seeing the A's up there. It has been a fascinating documentary thus far. I'm about 40 minutes in or so. It got me thinking, Graz, last night, and I've I've got a couple of interesting nominees. As far as guys who we consider actors first, but also played sports. So who are the best ones? Because I was shocked to hear that Kurt Russell also was a baseball player. One that I found today that has me super excited. Did you know that Tommy Lee Jones played guard on football team for for Harvard? And he was a part of Harvard's 1968 undefeated football Mm -hmm. team. A first-team All-Ivy League selection. That's the team that, that actually tied Yale, and, and the headline was Harvard beats Yale 29-29. Yes, you're yeah, 100% right on that one. Yes, wow. Yes, he was. That's, that's, a very, that's an excellent catch, man. Okay. That uh, is an excellent catch. We, we, we had fun like ta- just thinking about this last night because there are a couple of easy ones that people are going to throw in there. People are going to throw in Jim Brown. People are going to put in The Rock. But those guys are athletes first, right? Yeah, well, Burt Bur Reynolds, you know, played college football, and, uh, you know, he was a guy that came to mind. Alex Karras was a guy who was an athlete first, but then had a number one TV show. Bob Euchre was a lousy baseball player who had a, who had a television show, Mr. Belvedere, that was number one as well. No way. It's hard to think of it the other way around. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bob Euchre, that is one I definitely would not have guessed. A couple of ones that you might have been able to. Carl Weathers, who played defensive end in college. Right. Uh, of course, you know him yep. as Apollo Creed. Uh, or uh, Dylan in Predator. Just watched Predator recently. What a great movie. Terry Crews also. He was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams in the 11th uh, round of the 1991 NFL draft. But he looks super yoked, so I would have not been surprised by that. Others. Yeah, it was. it's, it's, it's tough to think of it that way, the, the guys who were, were the athletes first. But, um, geez, you got to go back, I suppose, because I, I can you think of many in in the modern, more modern than Terry Crews. I'm having a hard time with it. I I really am. I mean, for the most part, there are some guys that are out there, and uh, another one that I saw, Ed O'Neill, who played Al Bundy. I mean, I guess he did actually have the ability to brag about the three touchdowns that he scored on Married with Children because he actually ended up playing football at Ohio University although he was only there for a little bit. Then he transferred to Youngstown State. For those who don't know, Youngstown State, one of the more bad B.A. colleges that you will see in terms of 1AA and, and below. The Penguins. Yeah, the fighting Penguins. The Penguins, the Penguins of Youngstown State. Uh, text in. Yeah. yeah, as many as we can get. We, we, need, we need more. Keanu Reeves played hockey. 
Mark Harmon, I know, played, I think he played. Mark Harmon played quarterback at UCLA. That's a good one. Wow. He, he was a quarterback at UCLA, so he would <clears throat> he would definitely be one. Okay. I, I'm curious as to who might have been the best one. Text in. Some people have said Bill Murray. I thought about Bill Murray mainly because of his appearance in Space Jam, where he comes in and I'm like, wait, is he, <laughs> is he a golfer or is he like a fake basketball player? Uh, I don't know anything he played, though. He played baseball for the Grays Harbor Community College Loggers per one texter. That's an interesting one. That's got to be a goof. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> okay, so you can keep those coming. I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about actual sports, even though you gave me this fantastic recommendation for a sports documentary, Graz. We saw Jared Kelnick in his first chance to be a hero yesterday. Didn't work out the way that we all wanted to. Not going to lie. I was sitting actually on the edge of my seat with anticipation, especially once he drew a 2-0 count. That ball almost drops in. How long do you think it takes to determine whether or not an athlete is somebody that you trust in the clutch? Is it just a question of them doing it? Is it just a question of it, of it actually getting done? I mean, it's such a... There are, there are athletes who will tell you that there's no such thing as clutch, right. but uh, I, I kind of believe in it too. And and I think it's it's. I mean, it, can, can, if you come through one time, can you be considered clutch? Do you have to come through all the times? Does it have to be in a playoff game? You know, can hmm. it be in a regular game? I, I just. I think it has to be more I'm, often than not. It. More often than not. Okay. And I, I I would say, for me, I guess I define clutch, Graz, as when this person is in a situation where you need him to deliver. I feel pretty confidently right. that he is going to. But it takes time right. to really build up that confidence, and I'm assuming that you need some sort of evidence. You're right in that. It probably can't just be one. You need like two, three, four or so. And, I mean, Russell Wilson, over the course of his rookie season, you saw a couple of them. It was against the Patriots. It was against the Bears mm-hmm. where he made big-time plays in big-time moments and thought to yourself, okay, you know what? We're down 14. I feel okay about our chances with this guy under center. So I guess it's about a confidence, a feel thing for me. If you deter, if you feel like this guy's going to be able to make it happen, even though he maybe from time to time is going to fail in that spot. Right, because you can't. I mean, no one does it 100% of the time. So uh, I would say that you, you're right. It, it's got to be something that, that the guy does a few times where they flash up the stat and you go, oh, <laughs> well, look at that. He's hitting 350 with runners in scoring position or 400 or something like that or – you know, explode. I mean, I, I just uh, I, I remembering um, the '95 Mariner playoffs. Edgar Martinez, I think, hit 571 in that series with the Yankees. Wow! His, his first time in, I think, he hit 571, <laughs> like 10 of 16 or something like that. Sounds like he was more clutch and, than Ken Griffey Jr. Would that be an accurate assessment well, in the playoffs? Gr- Griffey hit like I, th- I want to say three or four home runs in that series. So oh. he was he was they, good they too. Were, they was they, yeah, they were equally clutch. But I mean, it was. You know, he had come through in the regular season so many times that, that it, w- it was expected. I don't know, because is, is clutch postseason only? Can you be a clutch player and be a dog in the postseason? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a tricky one. You're right on that one, where I think there are certain guys who you do trust. Maybe playoff P, Paul George, is somebody in the regular season that you're like, you know what, this guy could get it done, but then the playoffs started as Clippers are down 0-2 to the Dallas Mavericks. 
very, very quickly. I think it has to be from time to time taking place in the playoffs because that's how you get that moniker. If you can't make it happen in big-time moments, all of a sudden you will be labeled as a choke artist. For example, I don't think Peyton Manning necessarily was one, but there were a couple of years in a row where you saw him in the playoffs, and then you combine that with his time at Tennessee where he was losing to Florida in big games all the time, and he did get a little bit of a reputation that maybe was a bit unfair. Well, you're right, though. I mean, he, he, uh, a lot of times in, on the biggest stage, he did not come through. And, uh, you know, in that Seahawks Super Bowl, I mean, that was the best offense ever Yeah. during the regular season. And, and, and you know, the, the snap goes over his head the first snap of the game, and, and then they, they're never a factor. So, yeah, he was one, although, you know, then you look, at, you look at Tom Brady and you assume that this guy never, makes, never blows it, never does. He does sometimes, but more often than not, he does not. So it's uh, it's about opportunities and and um, you know it's we haven't we have Russell Wilson definitely figures as a guy who's done it done it a lot of times and a guy who you you normally feel confident in but um, the other point is you can't do it every time no you can't you're gonna miss it from time to time especially in basketball I mean we think of Kobe as clutch yeah. we think of Michael Jordan as clutch I'm sure that they missed a, their fair share of possible game winning shots. Graz not always, a lot, though. Not a lot. That's true. We're <laughs> talking about Jordan and Kobe. Not a lot. I think Kobe actually missed a lot. Jordan, perhaps a little bit less. But that's this will get yeah. us down the road of who's the actual greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> uh, good thing Michael Bumpus isn't here to throw in Kobe Bryant into that conversation. Graz, always love it when you join me, man. Thank you so much for this recommendation. I'm very much enjoying the ba- uh, the battered bastards of baseball. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, man. Have a good weekend. Sounds great, Paul. Thank you, brother. That is the Graz, everybody, at the Graz on Twitter. This is the Paul Galan Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. If you can actually surprise me with an actor first that also played well as an athlete, keep those texts coming in, 710-710. We've gotten some good ones on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. And the question of the day, how much time do you need to determine if an athlete is clutch? Don't go anywhere. I'm Paul Gallant. This is 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. In response to that question about actors first who also played a sport, A bunch of people have been texting me about Chuck Connors. This definitely predates me. For those who don't know, there was a hit television show called The Rifleman. Chuck Connors starred as rancher Lucas McCain. And it's a basically, it's like one of your traditional Western shows. He was six foot six, so he's an absolutely giant human being. He also played professional basketball and professional baseball. So he played with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1949, the Chicago Cubs in 1951, and the Boston Celtics in 1947 and 1948. I actually knew that because, as you know, my dad is a Boston super fan. So Chuck Connors is his, is his number one? He tried to force me to watch an episode of The Rifleman when I was a little kid. He's like, this guy played for the Celtics. So. How, would you re- re- uh, how would you review, how would you grade that episode of The Rifleman that he forced you to try to watch? I mean, I think it was pretty, like, have you ever, if you've ever watched any of the old, what are the other ones like that? Like Bonanza. Bonanza would be another yeah, one. It's, it's like the old black and white where he's like a tough guy and there's all these villains, Western type 
show, pretty much. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Bing He's Russell. He's got to save everyone from all the bad guys. Speaking of, though, Bonanza, Bing Russell, Kurt Russell's dad, he was on that show. And that's what got this conversation started. Oh, I watched. Wow. I watched this Netflix show uh, last night on advice of the Graz called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. It's about the Portland Mavericks, an independent league baseball team. It's a really fascinating documentary. And we won't, we won't stick on this too long, but I, it just got me thinking. And here's the trick. It has to be an actor first because we know that there have been some athletes that have gone into that. Some people have pointed out The Rock. Yeah, The Rock played football at Miami, but he also was a wrestler. I feel like those are both. He was an athlete first, then he transitioned to the big screen. But some of these actors who I'm just talking about guys who we know of as actors who are also good athletes. Someone texted in Paul Newman. I knew this about Paul Newman. Paul Newman is a guy who was a race car driver. And he was a very good race car driver at that. I think he won a bunch of championships. I think Adam Carolla did a documentary about him. A texter, Steve McQueen. Oh, wow. We're going real old school with some of these guys. A super competitive off-road motorcycle racer. Jeez. You got to be you got to have some real stones to ride a motorcycle. I respect those people. I am terrified to get on one of those things. As well as a car racer. <laughs> Tony Danza was a boxer? Writes one texter. I can kind of see that. <laughs> Tony Danza, there's something about him where Tony Danza, I feel like he's from that same universe as Rocky. I, is Tony Danza from Philadelphia? He does seem like someone that would be from the Philadelphia area. I don't know if that's assuming a little bit too much, but... Oh, he's from Brooklyn. Okay. I, for some reason, thought he was from Philadelphia. I think that's because of the field goal kicking, gar- uh, the field goal kicking garbage picking phenomenon, which was this like really bad Disney sports movie about a kicker who was a garbage man for the Philadelphia Eagles. Steve Carell, minor league hockey. Joel McHale played for the Washington Huskies. This one boggles my mind, and it'll be the last one I talk about. Thank you for your contribution, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Jason Statham as a diver and swimmer. That blows my mind, and it's nothing against those two respective sports. But first off, I'm under the assumption that Jason Statham is not the tallest dude in the world. I thought that most, um, and he won, I guess, in England. Uh, He competed in uh, diving for England, and he was in the Commonwealth Finals. So he was doing this nationally for England. That's a guy that I do not think of as like a diver. I feel like he might be some sort of a boxer or something like that. And it's maybe because in every single movie he plays some sort of hardo. What is Jason Statham's height? Five foot ten. Right. Like I, I thought all swimmers were tall. I thought they were all six five, six six, something like that. Okay, guys. Uh the last answers to today's question of the day. What how much time do you need to determine whether or not? an athlete has that clutch gene. Text in, wouldn't clutch be performing as expected under pressure? Not elevating, but also not folding. Yeah, it's probably having those level hands. To me, it's too, it's a trust factor. Another text, definition of clutch, the player does not get notably worse in high-pressure situations. Yeah, because there are some guys that I feel like maybe are circumstantially considered to be clutch, I would say Robert Ory, right place, right time, always hit shots when he needed to. MJ, Griffey, Magic Johnson, Bird, Gretzky, Dale Earnhardt. It did not take them long until he could see it. 
their first years, it was all obvious. If Kelnick doesn't show, by the year end, possibly not there, unless the Mariners trade him. Then he turns it on, how many have? Well, that's just a depressing way to end the show. I can't end it on that note. One season writes with the last texter of the show. Clutch is so subjective, though. Does he help you win games? And this is the thing we're figuring out about Jared Kalnick right now. I like that we finally got to see him in a clutch situation. Two runners on, two outs. Relief pitcher seems like he's on the ropes after walking Tom Murphy, the batter before, and he came really, really close to doing, I think, something that we will see from him the rest of this season because that guy, he is so dang confident. Lots of thanks to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. To the Graz who stopped by earlier, to our caller, to our texters, to our tweeters. I am merely Paul Gallant. More Dooley behind the glass. So long. Farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful Thursday. Jake and Stacy is next.